Welcome to Revival from the Bible, a daily devotional podcast where we dig into God's Word together and find life through Jesus Christ. My name is Ben Blakey. It's Saturday, the 21st of November, 2020. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. These famous words you've probably sung before in your life, uh, as we think about that powerful reality, that when we really focus on Jesus, when we turn our eyes to him, it does have an effect on how we view everything around us. We see him more clearly, and our lives are filled with a purpose and a peace that we don't have when we don't look at Jesus. Well, today we want to turn our eyes to Jesus And we're going to see that experience of actually having a vision of Christ wasn't exactly a nice sing-song, feel-good experience. No, the Apostle John, when he sees this uh, vision of Christ, he falls on his face as though he was dead. But we'll see in the end, he, he, he was helped by this experience. He was uh, forced to realize that the things of earth were strangely dim, and he did see a light of both the glory and the grace of Jesus Christ. So I want us to try to experience that with the Apostle John as much as we can today as we uh, start another weekend here on Revival from the Bible. First, we're looking at Revelation chapter 1, verses 9 through 20. So through the end of chapter 1. And so John, he is in exile on this rock in the Aegean Sea called Patmos. Um, So he has been exiled for his faith. From what we understand from history, he was the only one of the disciples that was not martyred for his faith. It seems like they even maybe tried to kill John, but God was preserving his life. So they sent him to this rock in the middle of the sea, and there he hears something, he hears a voice telling him to write down, but then he looks and he sees this vision of the glorified Christ. It starts in verse 12. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me. And on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest, The hairs of his head were white, like wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars. And from his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. And his face was like the sun shining in full strength. So there he he sees this vision of the glorified Christ. And, and yeah, I think we need to understand some things about this. I mean, when we try to just literally put all this out there, I think I had an assignment once like in a Sunday school class growing up to, you know, draw this picture. When we we'll just put all of this into a picture, we're like, that's kind of weird. Um, I think we need to understand that I think Part of what we're seeing, and and this is probably something that's happening throughout Revelation uh, as we get into this book, John is trying to put into words what he is seeing. 
Like he is seeing things that are so incredible. Uh, he probably doesn't know exactly how to describe it to somebody that's never seen it. So he's trying. Uh, and and he obviously has the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And it does give us a sense of the picture. But I think if we could actually see this vision, we would see all these things that he was saying, but it, it wouldn't necessarily look, you know, like it is when we're just like, all right, hair white like wool, feet like burnished bronze. And we should understand that it would not, let's not get lost in the, the details. Let's not miss the forest for the trees of all these details. What he sees here is a glorious vision, an awe-inspiring vision. Even, you know, this idea, he's clothed in, in splendor, a long robe, a golden sash. Um, and the one thing I think that stands out most to me from this description is that his eyes were like a flame of fire. And man, I think that's something, every time I've looked at this passage, that's a thought that I think should inspire sanctification and purification in all of us, right? That Jesus has this gaze like a flame of fire. He sees everything. His eyes burn with a holy flame. And someday we're going to stand in front of him and those eyes are going to look at us. And what are they going to see, right? I think that's something when we do turn our eyes to Jesus, we see things like that. Whoa, his eyes burn with this holy flame. Man, God, I want to be pure. I want to be holy. I think we should. The things of earth should grow strangely dim in that sense as we consider Jesus. It also talks about his voice, like the roar of many waters, and his face was like the sun shining in full strength. Just his glory, his radiance, the power of his words are mightier than the, the you know the sound of the roaring of the oceans. Right, this is a picture of uh, splendor. It's a picture of a king. It's a picture of power. It's a picture of purity. There are so many things wrapped into this picture. So many things that I think we should pay attention to. We should look at and we should be inspired by. But also, uh, there should be a a holy sense of reverence and fear as we think about this. Because look at what happens to the Apostle John. He falls at his feet as though dead right? A very similar experience to what we see of Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 6, when he sees this vision of God seated on the throne, high and lifted up, and the seraphim flying around saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. He falls and he he says, woe is me. He's like, I'm finished. I'm done because I have seen the king and I am a sinner and I'm a man of unclean lips. I think as we consider this vision of Jesus, It should have us feeling that sense of unworthiness. And that if we would see this, we would fall on our face. And we would, if we looked into those eyes of blazing fire, we would have a sense of our sin more clearly than we would have ever had in our existence. A very powerful thing. So it's not quite like this sweet sing song, turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, right? It's a powerful even a a rightly terrifying thing. But I think it still is a good thing. 
And the things of earth will grow strangely dim, and we will see not just his glory, but also his grace, because now I want us to see, look at how Jesus responds to John. He he comes and he puts his right hand on him, and he doesn't say, that's right, you better be afraid of me. No, look at what he says, fear not. I am the first and the last and the living one. I died and behold, I am alive forevermore. Booyah, right? I mean, I don't think Jesus actually said booyah. That's not there. And I don't know how they would say that in Greek, but I mean, man, the power of that statement, you know, he is at this point, the only one that can say, I am the living one. I died and behold, I am alive forevermore, right? He is the firstborn of the dead. And what an amazing statement. And now he says, and I have the keys of death and Hades. That this Jesus, who has the eyes like a flame of fire, whose face is shining like the sun in his full strength, his voice is like the sound of many waters. When he's opening up that voice, what is he telling to his people? Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid because I've conquered death. Don't be afraid because I'm alive forevermore. And don't be afraid because we know what what he's about to say in in the gospel of John, that, hey, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me will never die. His words are true. He has done what he has set out to do. He holds the keys of death and Hades. And so I I think we've we've quoted this before, but there's the quote, I don't know who it originated with, but you've heard many people say, many pastors say that when we fear the Lord, we don't need to fear anything else. And I think that's so powerfully comes out in this passage. We see John seeing Jesus and we, when we consider this vision, we should fear the Lord. But Then we don't have to be afraid of anything else. And even we're not terrified from Jesus like he's going to be out to get us because we know through his grace and through repentance and faith on our end, and really as a result of his mercy, we worship him as the Lord. We know we are on his side and his side will win. He has conquered death. He is alive forevermore and he has the keys of death and Hades. So as we've had this look at Jesus, I hope the things of earth grow strangely dim. When we get looking at the headlines or our personal lives or whatever else may be going on, whatever else may be concerning us, we can realize, hey, I don't need to be afraid because Jesus, he is the first and the last. He's the living one. He died, but behold, he's alive forevermore and he's coming back. And I'm waiting for that day. I'm, I'm getting ready for that. What an amazing picture of Jesus that we see in this passage that should affect us this weekend. I want us to keep our eyes on Jesus as we turn now to John chapter 11. John chapter 11. This is going to be the beginning of the story of Lazarus. And so as we start the story, it reminds me of the beginning of John chapter 9, where it's clear Jesus is going to say something bad has happened that I am going to use for my glory. And Jesus seems, no, he doesn't seem, he shows that he is 100% in control of the situation in this instance. It shows that, yes, he's waiting, but he already knows what he is going to do. 
And again, I think that's something powerful that we should think more about. When we find ourselves in troubling situations, Jesus, 100% in control of the situation. Even though it might seem like we're waiting longer than we want to or longer than we think is right, Jesus is in control, right? The disciples are like, what are we waiting around for? Let's go now. He needs our help. But Jesus makes it clear, no, I have a plan for all of this. And that's something we can know, we can be certain of. Jesus always has a plan. And that's something we can trust from that passage. As we turn now to Psalm 132, 11 through 18, we finish up this psalm about King David. And it makes me think, About what we read in Revelation in verse 11, where it says, The Lord swore to David a sure oath from which he will not turn back. One of the sons of your body I will set on your throne. If your sons keep my covenant and my testimonies that I shall teach them, their sons also forever shall sit on your throne. And that reminds us of the Davidic covenant, which ultimately we learn that he's not just talking about Solomon and those Uh, coming after him, there's someone in focus. There is some future offspring that will sit on the throne forever. And it just made me think today, as we look at that vision of Jesus in Revelation chapter one, Jesus Christ is, yes, the son of God, but we also see he is the son of David. He is the descendant of David and he will sit on David's throne there. It will come a day where Jesus is coming back. And even this psalm is focused on the city of Jerusalem. I believe with all my heart that Jesus Christ someday will in the flesh be sitting on the throne in the city of Jerusalem. God's word is true. And so we may not experience the excitement of Jerusalem like they do in these Psalms, but someday we will when the king will be on his throne there. And that is worth getting excited about. Finally, we look at Ezekiel chapter 28 and 29 today. And here we we pick it up again with the kingdom of Tyre. And remember that was a city in Lebanon. And we talked yesterday about how that the prophecies would come fulfilled many in literal, very literal ways. And so today there's a prophecy against the prince of Tyre and then a lament over the king of Tyre. Now many see in this lament over the king of Tyre in 28 some some ways to understand that Jesus might, or that Ezekiel, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, through the word of the Lord, might not be speaking about a literal human king, but might be speaking of a spiritual power, even might be speaking about Satan himself. Now, why would people say that? Just look at some of the, the words. Starting in verse 12, in the middle of verse 12, it says, You were the signet of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering, sardius, topaz, and diamond, beryl, onyx, and jasper, sapphire, emerald, and carbuncle, and crafted in gold were your settings and your engravings. On the day that you were prepared, they were, or on the day that you were created, they were prepared. You were an anointed guardian cherub. I placed you, and you were on the holy mountain of God. In the midst of the stones of fire, you walked. I mean, so... You consider some of those things, and is it possible these are very poetic words describing some king? I mean, that's not heretical for sure, but it does seem to me that this this couldn't be totally talking just about a human 
king. I think there is something to the people that would understand this passage referring to Satan. And we, we learn, I think, the downfall of Satan was his pride. Verse 17, your heart was proud because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. I cast you to the ground. I exposed you before kings to feast their eyes on you, right? So there we get a sense of what the downfall of Satan was, his, his pride in his beauty. And we know that's a dangerous sin for all of us, the sin of pride. And how can we combat the sin of pride in our own lives? Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his glorious, amazing, awesome face. Consider the vision of Jesus that we read today in Revelation chapter one. How can we consider that and still have pride in our own hearts? So I hope that our hearts are sanctified and filled with glory and grace as we have turned our eyes upon Jesus today. Thanks for digging into God's word with me today on Revival from the Bible. For more resources, check out revivalfromthebible.com. To learn more about Compass Bible Church Treasure Valley, go to compassbible.tv. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you.